You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read the verses 1 through 15, and I'll point out that the verse 9 is our text for this morning. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Our text this morning, as mentioned, is verse 9 of this chapter. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Dear congregation of Jesus Christ, you who have been made rich by the poverty of our Lord, if you were here last week, you might remember that the morning sermon was, in a certain way, all about money. Money, money, money. We looked specifically and almost exclusively on Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 16 through 15, where the Apostle Paul grounds the generous giving of the Corinthian churches firmly in God's grace. It's a response to God's grace. It's through God's grace that they've been made rich, he says, and it's in response to God's grace that they should freely, willingly and generously give to others who are in need. How you view and you use your money, Paul basically says there, is all about the gospel. 
It has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the message of our short text this morning. Paul was describing the nature of giving in 2 Corinthians 9, 16 through 15. And here in 8 verse 9, he gives the reason for it. And it's solely about Jesus Christ, who, as he says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. These words, this summary of the gospel, is what we'll focus on this morning as we gather around the table of the Lord to enjoy the riches of Jesus Christ. That's the theme for this morning. In the Lord's Supper, we share in the riches of Jesus Christ. Of course, we could just read in the form for baptism how even Kenzie Blair and all our children are able to share in the riches of Jesus Christ. And we do the same in the Lord's Supper. Now, right off the top, I should say that you might be wondering if I'm not in fact doing some some exegetical and hermeneutical, some explanatory gymnastics here in order to make this text, which is clearly in the context of giving, it's about money, how I'm making this text fit in the context of Lord's Supper, as we hope to do this morning. Well, I hope that I'm in fact not distorting this text, but I hope that you'll realize that this text is a supporting principle for giving. And it's a supporting principle for giving, and it's also the supporting principle out of which we live our whole Christian life. The fact that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich is the source out of which our whole lives flow. Our lives of thankfulness. Our lives of living in response to the grace of God. And in celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, we are living out that reality. Consider what we commemorate this morning at the table. We commemorate that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken and that His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He suffered and died to redeem us from suffering and death. In the Lord's Supper also, we proclaim Christ's death until He comes. Now, to an unchurched person, someone not familiar with what we're doing here, this must seem like a strange thing to do and probably even a morbid and a pessimistic thing to do. Proclaim His death? What is this? Some kind of martyr's cult? Well, not at all. We proclaim Christ's death. His giving up of His life. Because we know that by that act, we have been given eternal life. It's not a morbid fascination with death. It's a joyful celebration of life. Eternal life. And this also becomes clear if we think about the elements of Lord's Supper itself. Again, the the bread and the wine clearly point to the body and the blood of Christ shed on the cross. But yet at the same time, they point through His work on the cross to the effect that His work has for us. 
Bread was a staple for the people of Israel, as it is a staple for many today. And it sustained life. Well, so too the bread of the Lord's Supper sustains our lives in Jesus Christ. And wine was not only a common drink to have at meals, but it was especially important for times of celebration. Well, because of the innocent blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, blood which is is signified by the wine in the Lord's Supper, now we drink it in celebration of the new life that we have in Him and of what He's done for us. So, in summary, the Lord's Supper is a commemoration of Christ's absolute humility. His being brought low throughout His life and culminating in His bitter and shameful death on the cross. But at the same time, it's a celebration, it's it's a banquet, a feast of celebration for the riches of salvation that He gives to us, His people. In the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the gospel of grace. And our text this morning describes the heart of that gospel. Paul calls on the Corinthians to think of that wonderful work of Jesus Christ when he reminds them, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that, that phrase there, the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that could refer to the disposition of Jesus Christ. Uh, his, his mercy, his inexhaustible, free, and undeserved mercy that he shows to sinners. But I think there's actually a better explanation, especially in this context here. And that is that it refers to his gracious gift. His gracious act of giving himself for our sake. And so the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is just one way of saying what Paul goes on to say. That he gave himself, that he became poor. So that we might become rich. It describes the process of Christ's humiliation, His being brought low in His incarnation, His suffering, His death, His burial. So the grace, or the gracious act of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that though He was rich, yet for our sakes, He became poor. He was rich there, refers not to material or earthly possessions or riches that Jesus Christ had or or may have been entitled to, just like his poverty is not really referring to the size of his money bag. It's true that he said well during his time on earth that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But yet at the same time, from what we can tell, the Lord Jesus and his disciples were always provided for. It doesn't seem like they were overly poor or rich, for that matter. But rather, these riches that are being referred to is the glory that Jesus Christ had before His incarnation, before He took human flesh upon Himself. John 1 speaks about the Word being with God from all eternity. Philippians 2 says that He was in very nature God. And Jesus himself says, makes mention of the glory that he had with the Father 
from all eternity. Jesus was rich. He was rich in the biggest way imaginable. He was rich with the glory of God. But yet, Paul tells us, he became poor. He became poor, first of all, in his incarnation. He put off that glory that he shared with the Father from all eternity, the glory of that that perfect relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit. And he became a human being with the inherent weaknesses of human flesh. And this poverty only increased during his time on earth, as he became not only human, but he became a persecuted and a rejected human being, to the point of being abandoned by even his closest friends and dying on a cross of shame, in anguish. If there was ever a picture of human poverty, the deepest levels on earth, it was there on the cross in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was not only left out in the cold, left all alone, rejected by men, by those he loved even, he was rejected by the one who had loved him from all eternity, his heavenly Father. Jesus Christ became poor. He suffered. He was rejected for your sake. Paul says, yet for your sakes he became poor. That's the heart of the gospel, brothers and sisters. The great interchange. That Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. He suffered humiliation and rejection. Ultimately, by God the Father, even. So that we would never have to. Listen to these words that one of the church fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus, says of this verse. Christ was made poor that we through his poverty might be rich. He took the form of a servant that we might regain liberty. He descended that we might be exalted. He was tempted that we might be, we might overcome. He was despised that he might fill us with glory. He died that we might be saved. He ascended to draw to himself those lying prostrate on the ground through sin's stumbling block. That's the gospel of grace. That our Lord Jesus Christ poured out himself for us. And it's that gospel of grace that gives us life. And as Paul says, that's the gospel of grace that we now live by. That's what Paul is saying in the context of this verse. Just as Christ became poor for you, so you ought to become poor for others and give yourself up for the sake of others. And the application that he's working with, of course, in 2 Corinthians 8 is specifically about money. It's decidedly and clearly about money. But the application can for us be much broader as well. The idea of becoming poor for the benefit and upbuilding of others is our life principle. It's it's what we live by. 
as Christians. That's what living out of the gospel is all about. That's what being a Christian is all about. We give up. We serve. We help. We pour out ourselves for the sake of others. That's what we do when we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that, Paul says in verses 13 and 14, that there might be equality. Equality. So that we might live together in unity, in harmony, in community, under our one head, Jesus Christ. Equality is synonymous, it's the same thing as fellowship, as communion. And brothers and sisters, that's what we enjoy this morning around the table of our Lord. Equality, communion, fellowship. Because the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself up for us, we give up ourselves for others. In coming to the table and participating in the communion of the, bo- of the body and the blood of Christ, we put off our, our pride. We put off our distinctives. We put off our ambitions. We put off our desires for self-satisfaction. We especially put off our anim- animosity between other brothers and sisters. We confess that in ourselves, we have nothing. But in Jesus Christ, together as His body, we have everything. Brothers and sisters, let's enjoy the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Instead of being lost in sin, helpless, rudderless, blind, destitute, we have Jesus Christ. We have Him before us. Come to the table this morning and enjoy the riches of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.